This is episode number 261. How to train your subconscious mind with Jennifer Wallace. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming weekly conversation that takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted through Facebook or LinkedIn Live, called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations where we explore the connection between our personal narratives, as well as the topics of appreciation, grief, resilience, gratitude, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding the upcoming conversation. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life or helped you see your world through a different lens, please consider supporting our mission by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue inspiring and impacting millions of people around the world. Now, let's get back to the show. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Oleg. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm excited. No, thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. And thank you for sharing the, the brief uh, comedy moments before we were starting this episode, you know, Zoom and having to give permission to record and all these other things. It's been, it's been fascinating to observe uh, mm-hmm. this time. And it's been fascinating for me to observe the topic that you and I are going to explore today. And it's this concept of subconscious narratives I'm a huge believer that, at least in my opinion, in this recent chapter that I've realized is that this concept of a subconscious narrative or personal narrative, I think it's a basic need. And the reason why I believe that is because for many years, I wasn't aware of it. And when I became aware of it, my world changed completely. I I felt that I was a lot more in control of my existence. I felt that there was actually a component of this experience that I could tap into to build my story, to build my future, build my life. And I'm curious, and maybe this is the best way, at least that I could think of to start this conversation. Do you share a similar belief? How much of an impact do you think a subconscious narrative has on the outcome of their life? I completely share that belief. Um, I think patterns are necessary for survival and your brain, it wants to keep you alive. Like that is its number one function is to keep us alive. And so it needs pattern recognition to do that. It's always looking for those narratives to fall back on. And 
and use them for you to be able to move into the world. And there are inherent limitations that come with those programs and patterns because these are patterns that have been created from when we were tiny, tiny mm -hmm. people in this world, just being born, like looking at our basic survival needs being met and looking to our primary caregivers for those creation of those patterns and, and the, the, the running of them and how we move forward, you know, um, those patterns are created in our subconscious mind and your subconscious is, you know, it's not just setting the autonomic systems of the body, like your breathing, your, um, your heart rate and your digestion, but it is 80% creating how your lived experience and how we interact with the world, the behaviors that we have are related to patterns. And it is the world around you that you create is coming from those patterns. When did you first begin to realize this? I started really diving into this more deeply within like the past year and just kind of looking around in my own life, like you were saying, just kind of looking around in my own world and really starting to get curious about why I was the way that I am. How does this look like, uh, particularly for me, you know, your body has a set point for like most of your functions, right? But also has a set point for your body weight, which I think we hear about that kind of uh, a little bit in like diet culture. But the thing is that your so a narrative for me, because I have childhood sexual trauma and I'm a sex trafficking survivor. So for me, holding weight is safety. That's a narrative for me that I have to change because, and that happens a lot with, with victims of any sexual trauma, you, your body wants to hold on to the weight because deep down it feels like, okay, if I keep this layer of fat on, maybe I'm safer in the world. I don't, I don't stay as visible in the world. So if I don't stay as visible, then I don't have to have that fear of being taken or assaulted or maybe even spoken to or interacted with. Mm -hmm. Do you find that it's fascinating that you bring that up because <clears throat> I've been thinking about my own experience and especially the childhood adversities that I faced within my own life. And I was having this conversation earlier with a friend of mine who helped me realize this, that even though those things happened and those things had a purpose in my life, because they, as you described, created that sense of safety and comfort and belonging for a time being, that ultimately moving forward, those stories no longer serve the person that I'm becoming today. Do you find that you experience a similar thing? And if so, how did you do it? How did you flip the script, so to speak? Yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. And it's really important that we look around at what we have because have is proof of want. So if you have something that's coming up in your life a lot, like scarcity or weight, um, you know, what is it back there that really wants me to have this? And so it's about making the unfamiliar familiar, diving into not only, I think you kind of have to go backwards, like what mm -hmm. are the behaviors that I have that support this belief? 
what do I believe in these patterns? Do you know what I'm saying? Like there are beliefs and behaviors that come along with the narratives and the patterns. And you've got to learn how to break those and interrupt those cycles and kind of rewire that subconscious mind so that you can show up differently. And it's not easy work. I mean, maybe how, have, how has your experience been in your own rewiring? Well, I think for me, if anything, what I've learned is that it took many years to get to this point. The other thing that I think I've observed about my own experience is in the rewiring process, there's still certain beliefs that almost have become permanent, so to speak. I think if anything, they've become less um, severe when they were before. For example, now or let's say in the recent years when I would experience moments of lack of X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be, food or water or shelter, depending on the situation. When I go camping, that's one of the common things that happens is there's a lack of one of those three that happens depending on the situation. And I find myself to be in similar spots when I was younger. And that's that anxiety and stress and fear comes up. And so I'm curious to a degree when it comes to the beliefs and maybe your own beliefs as well, um, are, there, are there certain beliefs that have become permanent, so to speak? I mean, do, do you think about, you mentioned um, trafficking, do you, do you consciously think about the fact that you might get kidnapped? Oh my God. I used to be crazy. I mean, I was so scared to even walk around in my neighborhood to take walks, to be, to be online and to put myself just in not only on social media, but also on a dating app. I mean, my, I live in a new build construction area and I would be terrified that the guys around me would be like watching me and just waiting for that perfect time. I upgraded my system to like have cameras around it. And I mean, it was like wildfire and that does not serve in so many ways because it puts me in a heightened state of hypervigilance, right? Where I'm constantly aware of everything that's going on to a state that's detrimental in my body because it triggers that fight, flight and freeze response in the body. So it's a rush of chemicals, a rush of hormones and cortisol and, you know, to, to make the body go into that response. What we know now is that you don't actually have to be in the situation. You can just think about the situation and all that cascading is going to happen. And then your systems like that autonomic system that we we're talking about earlier, my respiration is going to change and my digestion is going to completely shut down because when you are in one of those states, like if you're running from a bear, if you're fighting an attacker, if you are frozen in a state of like, I can't move, everything in your body changes. And so when you're living in those heightened states, it's really dangerous. I believe these are the types of stress that really leads to chronic illness and disease in the body. And when we're talking about these patterns and these beliefs, like patterns don't care whether or not they're good or bad. They yeah. don't care if they're accurate. Their purpose isn't truth. The purpose of a pattern is turn the unknown into something known in the most easily efficient way for your brain to understand and to keep you alive. They don't have a moral compass to them. So they're just running and running and running and running. And the beliefs that go along with them. Like, 
one of the things that I had to do to change that belief that I was going to be taken from anywhere all the time was to bring safety back into my body, reconnect my body. And I did that using applied neurology, but I also with brain-based wellness, we have a worksheet that we work through and then we tap through it using like the EFT, you know, if you've ever done any tapping on the Mm -hmm. acupressure points. Mm -hmm. And it's really about coming back into your body, because if you've been through any trauma in your life, whether that's like the trafficking or whatever it is, your body disassociates. There's many different ways that you can disassociate. You can disassociate the self from the body, right? And just live in that kind of ego state. If you have a trauma to a limb, maybe that limb disassociates from the body. Like you can leave your body and we need to bring you back into your body to create safety. And then we start working on those patterns. How long did it take you to just step back onto the streets after it all happened? Wow. I was probably six, six to eight months in a really severe state, but that was, so I was taken in 2009. I was 32 years old. Um, I was traveling in Turkey that first six or eight months that I was home. It it was like, I, I didn't even know who I was. Everything scared me. If I heard a car backfire or I'd be asleep in the night and then hear a car door, it was like, boom, alarms going off everywhere. And so it took quite a bit of time. And I didn't start with the applied neurology until, um, let's see, 2016, I think. And I only have felt really in my body for the past two years. And I worked with healers and I, I found forgiveness. I, that we, I went through a lot of resolution with that particular scenario, but it's really only been, I would say the past year that I've really been back in, in my body as, as a full person, like inner child healing. Mm-hmm. And this was just a regular travel. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I was having a short time in Turkey um, with a job and uh, I thought I was making a friend. It was someone who spoke English. And when I got in the car with him, he wanted to introduce me to a girl that was my age who spoke really great English and I didn't really have any friends. And so that is, but he delivered me to a house where I was held captive. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I have, um, it's, it's a very exciting story, but it's, I left Turkey with bruises. Like I experienced divine intervention in that moment. And that's where a lot of my faith comes from and in the divine realm. But I also stabbed my captor twice. And that in itself is a really traumatic thing to be a part of, because, you know, it's not like someone is 10 or 20, feet away or any feet away so that you could like shoot them or something. When you are in the situation where you are stabbing someone, they are close. This is a very dangerous situation. And so, um, it was escalating and it was, it was a lot of ups and downs, but in the end, he called the same person who delivered me there to get me out of the house. I was probably just It's the only time in my life where I've been like, you know, I was probably too much, too much to deal with, too much to handle. So I'll take that. (laughs) If you don't mind me asking, because I I just find it such a, 
interesting experience that you went through and, and the things that you've been able to learn from the only, I'll be honest, the only way I can relate is through the scenes from Taken. Any of the I had movies. just seen that movie. <laughs> like I, that movie hey. had just come out. I'd just seen it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up on Oprah in the eighties. I was a latchkey kid. I would yeah. come home and I would watch Oprah. And back in the day, she would have John Walsh on there. Um, he's the guy from, uh, is that 48 hours or something like that? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Gosh, I hate that. I can't remember that right now, but he was always giving us survival tips and Oprah was, you know, yeah. Don't go to the second location. That is the only thing that was going through my mind. Do not go to the second location because right now I kind of know where I am. Yeah. But if I go somewhere else or they hurt me or do something else or drug me or tie me, I I could be lost forever. I don't want that. Well, it's also hard to predict because I think one of the things that I've experienced in traveling is that travel, it's an interesting experience in and of itself because there's so much that I think the mind, at least my mind, wants to learn and to observe and to see. And with that comes accepting new opportunities. And that comes with accepting new opportunities of change of scenery, change of people, change of places. And so how do you personally draw the line then between understanding that, okay, this is a dangerous situation based on previous experiences compared to this is an experience that may lead to some other experience. So I, I don't, I, I'm, that's why I'm curious and I'm asking you all these questions about your own experience because I can't say I've ever been in those. Therefore, I don't know what my awareness even looks like if I were to get into that situation. How do you become aware of the fact that there's something, there's a hidden agenda, so to speak, behind it all when the person is so genuine? when the person is so trustworthy and going back to the subconscious narrative, if the story that you choose to believe is every single encounter is a new opportunity to learn about yourself in the world, how do you break away from that? Well, okay. I think there's a few things in there. There are several different types of patterns, right? You have workable patterns that, you know, they're the type of patterns that despite being created in, uh, for a different situation, they're still effective in your current situation. Then you have optimal patterns, right? They're like perfectly aligned with the situations that you're in, but then you also have unworkable patterns and they are just no longer aligned with the situations that you're in. Those are the ones that we want to rewire. And as a result, those unworkable patterns create internal and external conflict. In the case of me traveling, and I love to travel, is my absolute favorite thing to do is to go out, be around new cultures and people and food and air and just really immerse myself in the experience. And I had always thought of myself up until this time, and I mean, I still do, but as a really conscious person, as someone who's really aware of my surroundings and, you know, I'm always kind of just as I'm walking, I'm always looking at the shadows around, you know, like what's, what's moving? How am I, how am I presenting in the world and and what's happening around me? And the interesting thing about this Turkey scenario is that when I was with this guy who was taking me to this house, I felt completely comfortable. There were no alarm bells going off and they weren't going off until it was like way too late. So my first 
instinct would be to say to you or to anybody is to really pay attention to your gut, right? Because your gut is what's carrying that instinct inside of you that's saying like, mm, something's not right, you know, but I was, I felt fine until I wasn't and I wasn't under the influence. And so I often look back at that particular part of the story and think, did I miss something? And I have not been able to figure that part out. But, you know, like I was saying, I experienced divine intervention. So I really feel like that, that story is just part of my human narrative mm -hmm. that helps me show up to serve now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? How'd you get out of it? Um, I, I found a small pair of scissors. I remembered seeing them in the house, um, uh, the, the day, the night before. And, and all of um, you were all of you isolated, like in separate There rooms? was, it was, I was the only person there. As far as I know, it was him, uh, the captor. And he had a female with him who was part of his, I think, um, part of the ring because I reached out for her for help on several occasions. And she, she just completely ignored me. So at, um, at some point in the morning, he was going out the front door and it was like, it, he was like carrying a lot of car keys. You know what I mean? Like the, like a, like a maintenance person would have. And there were several locks on the front door. And so when he was going out the front, I was just like, I want to go. And he was just like, he would turn around and he would choke me to the point of pushing me back onto the couch. And well, as soon as I sat down, I'd be popping right back up. Like, I want to get out of here. And it didn't take much to really make him angry. Um, fortunately, he wasn't that much bigger than me. He was about an inch shorter, probably had about 50 pounds on me, but when he, he didn't know this, but I had a small pair of scissors in the lining of my bra. And I, when he went to the door, I pulled them out and I was just holding them so that the blade was coming down my right forearm. And that last time that I got off the couch, I just told myself like, it's you or him, but this is not, it's not going to be you. And this, this has got to stop. And so when he turned around and he grabbed me by the throat, I raised those scissors up and I stabbed him in the throat. And then again on the face and, um, uh, spoiler alert. If you ever have to stab anybody, that is why you slit people's throats. Like it's just a giant puncture wound. So it really just pissed him off. And he, I mean, the, I've never seen anything like that before. I hope nobody out here listening ever has to do this, but you know, and then I saw, and she was just cleaning up blood. Like it was a spilled tea. And, um, he went to the kitchen and grabbed a nine inch carving knife that he was holding over me like psycho. And he made me raise rise to meet him. And it was in that moment that there was just this wall of something I can only explain as divine intervention. It was just like, this huge force that came between us. And, and when the seconds before my thought was, well, you tried and that's it, that's all you can do. And now you're gonna die in Turkey. Um, it was uh, that moment hit and it was like, something told me like, no, you're gonna live and go on, you're gonna survive. And it took about 30 to 45 minutes, I would probably say after that happened that he finally called 
he called two guys actually he told me he was calling the police some guy showed up in like a, a pink polo and some board shorts and i thought well if this is the police i'm totally screwed now you're probably gonna end up in a dirt dirt hole somewhere but then he called the guy who delivered me there and he took me out of there wow yeah took, took you out of there into a different location or took you out there and let you go yeah, he took me to a different location. He took me actually back to my apartment. Um, I did not go back inside my apartment building though because um, it didn't feel very safe. I mean, they actually know where I live and in the apartment where I was staying, it's just like when someone buzzed the doorbell, you don't know who's down there. You just, you're sitting in your living room and you're like, okay, should I let this stranger up? And I was on the eighth floor and there was no other way down except for the balcony. And there's no way that was going to happen. So I knew neighbors in the neighboring, um, in the, in the next building over. So I waited in the lobby for him to drive off. And I went to my neighbor's house and I called my dad and I knew the mayor of the town. His daughter spoke English. She was only 14, bless her heart, but I called her. How long were you held captive? Seven hours. Seven hours. Wow. What an experience. It was quite an experience. experience. And, um, yeah, it is. And it, like I said, it, it really drove my life for so long, that fear you know, the fear of the fear of everybody, of everything. And I would, it drove how I showed up in relationships because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel valuable. And those are beliefs that I had to work on, right? Because I wasn't showing up as myself. I was just showing up as whoever that person was kind of, I felt like they wanted me to be because it felt more safe to be mold moldable. Yeah. Well, I also think that at least for me, my experience was I, I had similar challenges when it came to relationships and being able to trust, like really, really trust the other individual because at least what my experience taught me was I was misguided so many different times throughout life where it was harder for me to understand that, okay, this is a person that is going to break that cycle, so to speak. This is a person that I can trust and they can actually, they will help me and lead me to X, Y, and Z place as they say they do rather than what my previous experience tell me. And that's where I think there's a interesting at least for me, it's an interesting thing to observe is being able to rely on the past as something that is there to teach me lessons. And at the same time, also knowing that the past is also just the past. It's not necessarily going to 100% accurately predict the future. <laughs> There's still a level of uncertainty. That's why I was asking you the question, how long did it take you to even step onto the street? I mean, I could only imagine from an experience like that, and the different things or different beliefs that you had to go through. Even that moment that you shared in the, in the room, you know, I don't know if you felt guilty afterwards or ashamed or whatever, because I could never imagine having to do that, having to stab someone just so I can get out. Yeah. Well, also, yeah, you're right. Because there was a lot of like, maybe some guilt and shame on my part, like taking responsibility yeah. for that. I, sh I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. I, sh you know, I, like I did something wrong. 
And those were also beliefs that like, yeah, you're totally right that I really had to work on because it's not, it's not your fault when somebody violates your body boundaries, that is not your fault. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. I think there's a lot to, there's a lot that I can learn from an experience like that. And I think the other thing that you mentioned at the beginning something along the lines of you don't have to go through the experience in order to understand the experience or the circumstances. And that I think probably goes to the story, the beliefs, um, but also being, I think probably being open to the opportunity that, for example, I didn't have to experience what you had to in order to understand what you possibly went through. Yeah. And you said something interesting a few minutes ago, and it's like when we're children, you know, and those narratives and those patterns are starting to get created. It's that child that's showing up today, right? That has to be healed. It's that version of you that we have to heal because, well, for me, that was a 32 year old version of myself, but you know, there, there's many versions of that inner child that need to come back and be healed and feel whole to change her beliefs because we don't need a five-year-old little girl showing up to run, run where we are right now. It's, it's hiding me in so many different ways. And I'm sure that's something that you experienced, like from your childhood, that little boy shows up and now he's running the stage and it's like, no, this is not who I am. This is not, this is not the version of me that wants to show up now. Yeah. And I think if anything, to a certain degree, what I've experienced is that it sets limitations in situations where I don't want to be limited. And that was a big thing that I had to work through is how do I recognize who is showing up in any given moment? And how is that impacting my own self-limiting beliefs of what I, I can or can't do based on previous circumstances that I've experienced? Yeah, because your, your patterns are showing up in, from the past to be in the present moment because they don't know the difference. You know, they're, they've been established at such a low level of your subconscious and then they are here showing up right now today. And it's like, no, this, this is not, this is not right. They are, they are trying to replace what's going on in the present with what happened in the past. And that's the limitation I think that comes with them. How do you personally break down that pattern though? How do you personally look at starting with recognition? How do you recognize the story that you want to change or that is no longer serving you? I think if you can take a really curious look at your life, everything, relationships, time, money, your work, your, your actual living environment, and start looking at those threads right? Like scarcity is a really big thread for people, right? Um, not living in abundance and maybe thinking like, okay, why is this happening? What, and you've got to really start digging deep, deep, deep. And it's not always easy. And when I started doing the work, it was hard for me to get, you know, it wasn't starting as me as like a baby or a three-year-old or something like that. I had to keep going back like, okay, I'm 12, I'm eight. I'm 10 or I'm 10, I'm 10, I'm eight, I'm six. And then over time, I could finally get into that subconscious part of me that was like 
tiny. But when you're working with your subconscious mind, and particularly we find this when we work it with EFT, emotional freedom tapping, mm -hmm. once your subconscious mind starts to speak, you don't know what's going to come up. And you really have to be prepared for that. But it starts to really move some of that emotional residual gunk that lives in there. And then once you can start moving that through, you can start to kind of heal that smaller person that lives inside of you and bring them back home. And so it's really a lot about being aware. And it's really important to it's really important to think about the way that you think to yourself and the way that you speak to yourself. Like if you're someone that's running around and everything's a disaster all the time, oh, this is a disaster. My life is a disaster. Well, your subconscious mind is only interpreting things very literally. So if you're in a constant state of everything's a disaster, then it's gonna run like there is literally disasters popping up all around you. And a lot of things that when people are using that phrase, it's not a disaster. There's a moment in time and now we have to deal with it. And so you've got to watch for those scripts. You've got to catch them. And um, you had a, you had a guest on recently that really talked about gratitude and the shifts that gratitude will bring to you and gratitude's huge. And um, you know, we need to start also looking at the praising the emotions that we don't like to have, right? Like jealousy, uh, rage, anger, resentment, pain, all of those go with an equally important positive emotion, right? But you can't have one without the other. So if you're experiencing shame or guilt or jealousy or rage or anger, that's equally as important. And it's important to familiarize, familiarize yourself with that, not criticize it because you are just reaffirming those states of being all the time with the words that you use in the way that you think to yourself. So it's really about being curious about the way that you speak to yourself, looking at the world around you because have is proof of want, and then start looking at the behaviors that go along with the world around you and then those beliefs, because there's a belief back there. And all those beliefs, number one, those limiting beliefs are not true. They are never true. You are inherently worthy. You're inherently a good person. You deserve good things. Like you are source. You are a reflection of divinity walking in this human experience and source wants to live through you. It does not want you to be limited, but, but those beliefs serve you in some way. Like does does that belief serve you from not having to show up for yourself, not having to have a hard conversation with somebody that you love, not having to set boundaries? Like what is that serving you in some way? And then flip that around. Do you find that what kind of impact affirmations have had in your life? Uh, affirmations are interesting. I, I do have them around the house, but I think if you don't believe them on a physiological level, yeah. mm -hmm. your brain won't believe you either. Like your yeah. body is not going to lie, let you lie to yourself. Your cognitive mind 
might let you run a bunch of lies, but your body is not going to let you do that. Your body lives very presently and it's attuned to all the vibrations that are happening around you all the time. Even if you think about like you turn the fan on and you feel that sensation of the air. Okay. Then that air, well, then what if you get too cold, right? Then something triggers, you have a feeling something gets triggered and then your system gets set. Yeah. I've had a similar experience. I think for me, there were so many times where I would listen to a lot of these videos or I would read the scripts where I'd say, I am this, I am worthy, I am this, I am that. And I never found it to really resonate with me. And I think part of the reason is because as you just described, I didn't believe in it. And it's not necessarily, I didn't believe in the fact that I was worthy. I just felt that that sentence didn't that there's just something about that sentence didn't sit with me. I don't know if it was too simple. I, I don't know if there was a reason that needed to follow it. I am worthy because X, Y, and Z. And so I've always been curious in learning about other people's experiences, well, not always, but in the recent years, as far as what their relationship is like with affirmations. And, and if they don't use it, what do they use? How do you continue to remind yourself of those things that you are? I think that's why it's so important to rewire these old belief, these old untrue beliefs, because there is an opposite belief that is true because you are inherently worthy. Look, 100%. Everyone listening to this, you are inherently worthy. And so if there's a belief back there that you are not worthy, and we need to dive into that subconscious mind and figure out where does that young person live and what did they experience that's putting them to show up in this world right now feeling unworthy. Because when you're feeling that, that is not the Oleg that is sitting here right now. That is not 44-year-old Jennifer. She gets it. I, I understand that I'm worthy. I love being here. I love being present in the world. And so when I'm starting to feel that, it's like, okay, we need to tap into that and see what version of me, what small version of me is showing up. And I mean, when I say small, I mean, any other version other than today, right? Any younger version, because time is not linear. We can always go back and, and heal that young person, no matter how old that person is. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Jennifer, what are some ways that people can connect with you and learn more about your work, which I believe is a project that you're doing with Elizabeth? Is that correct? Yes, I facilitate with brain-based wellness with Elizabeth Kristoff. Um, so you can find me there. Um, but it's really easy to get a hold of me. Um, my webpage, my email, my Instagram and social media is all the same. It's illuminated with Jennifer Wallace. Um, it's, it's, that's me everywhere illuminated with Jennifer at Gmail, if you want to reach out and, and I would love if you wanted to reach out and connect with me. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.